0: Thanks for listening to this sermon from the Image Church. Find out more about us and our weekly services at imagejesus.com. Okay, so here's the deal. This is what this is representing, all right? I'm going to give you some data. Um, there's a, there was a research project done um, a few years ago using the 2010 census data, surveying um, and getting data from over 200,000 congregations in the United States and then breaking them down into the largest metropolitan areas, the 90 largest metropolitan areas in the United States, and then breaking every state down by county, determining how many people are attending church on any given Sunday. And what I'm going to show you is the data for St. John's County, Duval County, and Clay County of people attending any church that is either evangelical, which would be kind of us-ish, Okay, people that are non-denominational churches. Um, it could be Baptist churches, evangelical free churches. It could be um, a whole slew of things. Okay, things like Celebration or Eleven Twenty Two would fall into the evangelical stat. All right, now think about this. It's that group of people. It's all the Catholic churches, and it's all of the mainline slash Orthodox churches. Orthodox congregations. This number does not include, well, those, it's basically anybody who calls himself a Christian and goes to church or doesn't. And here's the data that is pretty staggering. So in Duval County in 2008, the population was 850k. And on any given Sunday, 680,000 people, let's just call it 700, 700,000 people were not in any church on any given Sunday. In this county alone. St. John's County, roughly 200,000. Clay County, roughly 200,000. The big idea is this. Out of 1.2 million, 1 million people today, this morning, are not in any given church in this city. Or not in any church. Okay, A million people between those three counties. And this is what this means. Today, there are 230,000 people Going to church. And there are a million people, 987,000 people, not in any given church on any given Sunday. You represent this percentage, okay? 80% in the back, 20% in the front. So, what we want to show you is this is the imbalance or the difference between people that are in any given church on any given Sunday in the Jacksonville-ish area, okay, and people that are not. What, what does this do to our perspective? How would we live knowing this is true? Because when we come to church consistently, we start to feel like, oh, a lot of people must be a part of this. But right now, a million people are not a part of something like this today this morning, right now. Now, we know that Christians and people that know Jesus don't go to church every Sunday. And we know that you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. But we also do know that when Jesus grabs a hold of your heart through this gospel, the power of the gospel that we're proclaiming, you it, it does something in you and it changes you. And this number counts Catholics, mainlines, Orthodox, and evangelicals. It obviously gets a little different depending on how you would even define what the gospel is. So, this is the difference. It's staggering, it's sobering, and we want it to kind of sit in the room. What, let me ask you this if you are in that side of the room, how would you want these people to live? If you did not know Jesus and you had You were lost, but these people had the cure for your disease. What would you want them to do? Would you want them to run to you? Or would you want them to quietly say, Hey, you should come to church. (laughs) Right? Jay and I have been asking this question. If we were you we were lost, what would I want someone at the image to do for me? Knowing what I know now, what would I want the church in Jacksonville to do and be about? And church, okay? Church. If that is what is lost, what are you talking about? What are you beefing about? What are your concerns? What are your issues? What are the things that are nagging you when that right there is lost, according to Jesus, for eternity? For eternity, that is lost. What are you talking about? What are you planning? What are you strategizing? Is pledging even a question? Like, is budgeting, is giving, is serving, is evangelizing? What's the agenda? What's the agenda? What's the conversation? Okay, and so with that illustration, um, we're going to ask Jay to come and preach the word to us and let us hear from Jesus. So please come and take a seat right now. Some crazy
1: uh, statistics, don't you agree? It's kind of horrifying a little bit because what I was thinking when I was uh, standing on this side, I don't know if some of y'all saw me, but I walked over there or whatever, and I realized... Y'all were the people that didn't go to church, so I went back the other way. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just making light of the situation, but seriously, it really like burdened me because what I was thinking about was if we represented this city, um, how many of my friends would not be partying with me in heaven? You know what I'm saying? And so I was, you know, I made a, a point to look over and look in y'all's faces and uh, and just think about that, whatever. <clears throat> I think it's obvious, one of the obvious things we can see is that something's off. Um, We as a church are missing something in a huge way, right? Um, When we, something's off. Matt asks me that question all the time, Um, and it's funny because when I was trying to learn how to open my mouth and share the gospel with people, that was one of the things that hit me in my head. I used to always say, man... If I was on the corner lost somewhere, what would I want somebody to do? And I want them to run up on me, and I would have rejected them back in the day. And then I would want them to run up on me again, and then I would reject them again. And then I would pray that they would say, let me step back and figure out the strategy. But I I would pray that I would be their strategy, that they would not be able to sleep, that their peace would be disturbed knowing that I'm not going to heaven. You understand what I'm saying? That's what I would want to happen. There's a lot to mess with our hearts. At the end of the day, it's enough to make you scream. Wouldn't you agree? So I'm gonna be screaming today a little bit. All right, I don't scream often. Uh, me and Big Phil the other day, we went to a um, we were judges at a talent show at Lee at, uh, excuse me at Jackson High School, and the kid who who won the uh, talent show he um, he did spoken word. And, and and the thing i was blown away by these kids because i just really didn't expect them to come and make such a um you know just just make so many statements about you know just social ills and the stuff they were dealing with in life and 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 i and, and some of them even were just using their platform to preach and give god glory and i just was like wow this is amazing but the kid who won he did his spoken word and he just had this big old smile and he was talking about his friends getting killed and everything that's going on in his neighborhood and then every couple of lines he would say he, he literally would do it like this he'd be like save my friends stop the violence and I was just watching and I was like oh my god so I'm like it's a teenager but his heart was roaring and all I heard, kid after kid, was like, somebody show up. Somebody show up. That's all I heard, right? So when I feel the twinge a little bit, I'm going to yell. First thing I want to do is deal with what I think is the problem, right? We're going to go into Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Our subject today is reaching, reaching the lost by any means possible, Right? See the cool slide right there, doing tricks? Reaching the lost by any means possible. Sounds good, but let's talk about what's standing in between us and getting there, right? So Matthew 9, 35-38 says this, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Straight off the bat, the first thing that I notice right here when I look at this scripture is I notice that Jesus, he saw the crowd and he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. First problem with us, with this statistic, so we don't have compassion, all right? It's going to feel like I'm beating up on you a little bit, but I think there's some realities that we have to dance with a little bit, right? That, that push on our heart a little bit. We have to look at some of the ugly realities, and it presses out the beauty of why the cross is so significant to us as believers right now, and significant to everybody who is standing on the backside of that room, all right? He says, he looks at the crowd. And then he has compassion for them because they are harassed and helpless. They are like sheep without a shepherd. Let me tell you how dumb sheep are, right? That's what people say about sheep that they're just the dumbest, that they're beyond dumb, right? So sheep, number one, when they they, all they want to do is eat, so they keep their head down and they're always grazing. So they never look up. So when a wolf runs up on them, they don't even see the wolf. Then on top of that, when all their homeboys want to go eat some grass somewhere else and get on some salad somewhere, right? You want to get on an olive garden over here, they're still over here, whatever, you know what I'm saying? they missing out, this, you know what I'm saying? Because they're not looking up. So the shepherd is necessary to help them out with that. Also, if they ever get enough sense to follow anybody, if the person goes off a cliff, if the, if the sheep goes off the cliff, they roll rolling right with them. You feel me? They can't swim either. They, 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 they typically won't even um, drink from a moving stream at all. It has to be still, right? Because they're so scared of the water. You know, they fall in there, their coat weighs like a ton. You know what I'm saying? I'm going scream. They are helpless. They're helpless. There's no reasoning with them. They are helpless. They need a shepherd, Amen. right? So Jesus looks at the crowd and he mourns for them because they are like sheep without a shepherd. He doesn't rationalize all this other stuff like we normally do, like "Hey, yo, these people, this—they're going through this because this, 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 and that, whatever." He doesn't go through none of that. He simply goes to one fact: they are sheep without a shepherd. They are absolutely helpless, right? What is at stake? You know, I feel like a lot of times when we have these conversations, the realities that we have the conversation in are not what's really popping, right? So we have this conversation, and we talk about it like we go, man, we look out at the people, and what we're thinking about is, man, a good life. They were born, and they're going to die, and they're having a bad life right now or something like this right here, and we have this extreme carnal mindset in the midst of this conversation when the reality really is is that the word tells us that this life on earth is going to feel like a split second compared to eternity, right? And eternity, right, for us who are standing on this side over here, is going to be spent with the Father in paradise, right? But for everybody over there, eternity, which we have no category for, is separated in damnation with the wrath of God on them. That's the stakes we're playing with, right? Just so we know, We all get forgetful. I get forgetful. I was, I was, my stomach was literally turning, going through this. Because I'm like, God, wake my heart up. Prick my heart. I just want to read Matthew 9, 10, uh, Matthew 9 real quick. It's not actually going to be on the screen. I'm going to be going, um, if you want to look at it, it's actually verse 10 through 12. And y'all have heard me talk about the scripture before. But I just want to give you a picture of what we're dealing with. All right. So. This is where my heart dances around, right where the Pharisees are at. This is where the foolishness of my heart gets exposed, right? So scripture says this. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with, reclining, reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, this is that reasoning thing or whatever. Why, do you te- why, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those Who are well? Jesus, when he heard it, said, "Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick." And then he says, "Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came to call the call the righteous. I came not to call the righteous, but to call sinners." Right? Let me just break this down real quick. This this last part right here where he says, I desire mercy and sacrifice, is taken from Hosea 6.6. 6. And in Hosea 6.6, 6, it states, it says, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings, right? So the Hebrew word there, what it means is this right here. It's a combining of the w- word love and loyalty. It's love and loyalty mixed together. What he's making a statement to them about is his actions at the moment and what he actually desires. What's so significant about this word is like, we get in this place where we can't taste the circumstances we find ourselves in. Let me, the, let me say it like this right here. You know the scripture that says, like, his mercies are made new each morning? I love that scripture. Because if I feel like I had a day where I just failed the day before or whatever, I actually, I wake up and I'm like, man, his mercies are new every morning. I can repent. I'm good. You know, it's a good reminder. And it's true, right? I don't feel like I'm taking bad, you know, advantage of it in the wrong way. But what I'm saying is this right here. When he's talking about steadfast love and he's talking about love and loyalty, what he's actually saying is, I actually, my mercy is being thrusted on you every single second of the day right so if you if you get if you get locked up and you get the death sentence and you're supposed to die tomorrow and then the judge says hey look i'm gonna give you another eight days he's showing you mercy but he still can press down he can still take you straight to the guillotine if he wants to right So like we are in this place in between that waiting time, but he's given us a promise and his word is true so we can rejoice in that. But the fact of the matter, what is holding us here is his love, his loyalty, his steadfast love. When I started looking at this scripture, I just started finding myself in this place of how often do I walk around and not feel that or understand that? And the result of it was the statistic we just looked at. The result is y'all standing all the way in the back of the room because I'm nonchalant about this thing that God has done for me where the stakes are as high as eternity with them or apart from them. Y'all get where I'm coming from? This is why we have to deal with this first because we have to wake up, right? It's pretty much the alabaster box equation. It's those who are forgiven much, they love much. And those who have been forgiven little, they love little, right? Man, when you look at the numbers in the room, something looks off. It looks like we got that equation wrong. You feel you get what I'm saying? Yeah. And what I'm saying is that steadfast mercy, that the horrifying idea that God's mercy and love is the only thing, yeah. the only thing that's, that, that's keeping this whole room to shifting to the back and facing eternal damnation It's his blood being consistent all day, every day, each second of the day. Man, when you walk around with that inside of your gut, it changes the way you do everything. It changes the way you have every conversation. It changes the way you go get your Starbucks in the morning. Because you're looking at everybody so deep like, homie, I got to get you. I got to do it. I have to do it. Right? Then he said to his disciples, verse 37, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The harvest is plentiful. It's plentiful. It's not even, it's, it's what Jesus said. It's plentiful. It, it's, they just, they just wait. Man, let me finish reading real quick. Y'all, y'all gonna get it. The harvest is plentiful. So the harvest is not the problem. The laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly and listen to this. The Lord of the harvest. I'm going to tell you why I call it the Lord of the harvest, right? He says to send out laborers into his harvest. He's the Lord of the harvest because it's his harvest. He owns it. I don't care what kind of sin the people in the room are in the back are in. If they're his, they're his. He's just like, where are the laborers to go get them? Who's willing to reach? All he needs is some reachers. Can I tell you something? I'm screaming. You are the reachers. You're the reachers. Everybody who's up in this front room, front part of the room, we're the reachers. Nobody else is in this equation. You know what I'm saying? This is the world. We, we, we just did a you know, scenario of the world real quick. All it is is us. And it's them over there. Right? And what we got going on right here is going to be like a split second conversation Compared to what, what the stakes are, right? We're the reachers. Not only are we the reachers, we've been reaching. If you haven't noticed, right? So I just I'm gonna switch up a little bit. I wanna encourage you, right? We've been reaching. Like, just think about it. We're on the corner of Confederate and Liberty Street, right? with a black and white pastor co-pastor what kind of weird stuff is that it's the type of stuff that jesus does right it's the type of stuff that happens when he just does what he wants to do because the harvest is his he's the lord of the harvest but i just want you to think about it real quick sitting next to you in the seats in this room are people who have been reached right just think about it we've baptized rachel right We baptized Miss Tina. My girl Brandy, we baptized. Huh? We baptized Coco. Did we baptize Coco? We did baptize Coco. All right, that's right. Yo, me and Big Friend, I done known Big Friend like over 20 years. And his running joke used to always be: every time he used to see me inside of a club, he was always like, Man, I used to be fighting inside a club all the time. He was like, and I used to always have these big old chains on. You would be like, you dedicate any more chains to the club or whatever? Because every time I see you, you've lost a chain fighting in the club or whatever, right? Who would have ever thought that somebody would reach, grab me and save me, have friend come to my Bible study in the store, and then come to church, and, and then link me up at the store with Matt somewhere, and the next thing you know, we dunking friend up in here. Amanda Rhodes, Tyree, Skinny, Shamari, Marquise, Baptized him wearing a wife beater. <laughs> I never wanted I don't want to take nobody meeting the Lord back, whatever, but that's one time where I'm like, I don't know, father. <laughs> I'm having a bit of reproach of that picture right now. This joint is not good. That's you and the beater. <laughs> yeah, that's me and the wife beater. Yeah, that was that was, you know. But I, I'm just saying, like, we're reaching. We're reaching, but we can't forget about the numbers and the statistics. We can't forget all the other people on the backside of the room. God is doing it, but we cannot get comfortable by no means and get comfortable with just sitting in, 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 inside of the room, right? I think Matt hit it the best when he just said he was like, man, the, the, the conflict, the stuff that gets our attention the stuff that pulls us away from getting to the business, right? Man, that stuff is real and it happens. But I think we have to crush it somewhere in between this idea that we're walking inside of His steadfast love every day. We got we 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 gotta rationalize and see what it's worth in between between that and the people standing in the back of the room, right? Stuff. So, if you're one of them, what do you think? You understand what I'm saying? What do you think it's worth to you? They're sheep, though. They don't even know how bad they need a shepherd. They have no idea how bad the are lost. And it's just a whole, that's what I saw with the kids when I went to the school the other day. They were just filling it with anything they could fill it with. I could, I, but they, but they, they were just crying out for something. And I was just amazed. And I'm just like, I'm sitting here and I'm like, Whoa. We went in it afterwards. I'm like, yo, the harvest is crazy right now. We just, got, we just got to get the laborers. We need to reach. We got to reach. We got to reach. Inside of, um, in the high priestly prayer in John 17, um, it's not going to be on the screen because it's a super long uh, uh, scripture, but um, there's two statements that, that, there's two things that come out to me. Um, that I just want to share with you real quick. And it's, uh, Jesus is praying, and he says this right here. He says, For I have given them the words that you gave me. In this, in this prayer, he's talking specifically um, about the disciples, right? But it, but it ends up rolling down to us and landing in this room today. But he says, For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. And he says, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Right? So he's talking to the Lord of the harvest. Right? He's talking to our Father. And then you jump down a a couple uh, script. scriptures or whatever, and he says this right here. He says uh, a couple verses. He says, um, as you sent me into into the world, so I have sent them. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. And then he says in verse 20, he says, I do not ask for these only, but I ask for those who will believe in me through their word. So he is praying. So Jesus has come. He he has fulfilled what the Father has called him to do, right? And he is praying for the disciples. And he makes the point at first to say, I'm praying for them, right? Like I'm not praying for, I'm praying for the ones you've given to me, right? But then he goes on at the end and he says... I'm also praying for the ones that they are going to get, right? So we as believers, as the reachers, we're sent people. It just is what it is. We are called to be sent. We exist to give God glory. And and the way he perpetuates that glory is that we keep on duplicating because we are here to reveal his glory. So as we run into people, it just keeps on happening and it's been happening for thousands and thousands of years, right? So we can sit up inside of a box all day up here, and, and, and but if we start running into the back, into everybody, into the crowd over there, the harvest is, is, is already there. They're going to catch on fire because God's glory, is just, it just is what it is, right? So basically what he's saying, thousands of years ago, Jesus reached for the lost. And then he found some then he, that found some that found some that found some that found you. And so my question is, who are we going to go find? Who are we going to go find? I'm being nonchalant about this, but I'm, like, I'm telling you, when I was doing the sermon in my room last night, like I was just like, I was dancing. I was in the bed, sleep or whatever. And I was in there, I was like... I just was like going crazy. Like I literally was like about to lose my mind because I just feel like, I feel like Jesus is just like triumphantly just like, like, let's go get it. I feel like, like, like when we're having this conversation in the room that we're like back here and they're back there, like he's over here, he's, he's in the middle. Like, like, yo, like, you're like, let's go, let's go. Man, when I, started, when I started working on this text, what hurt me when I'm working through the idea of why we should go over there, I started feeling like dirty. Right? I'm feeling dirty because he's standing in the middle and what it cost him, For us to have anything to go over there with? I just felt disgusting. I'm like, Lord, forgive me. And I don't mean that in a condemnation way. I mean that in a sweet brokenness like, Lord, forgive me because you are so beautiful. And I am absolutely a sheep lost without a shepherd. And you came and got me. I'm going to walk off the cliff. There is no if ands or buts about it and another thing we must realize and deal with is this idea of do we even know what lost means do we know what it means to be helpless like what do we categorize that as right because are we kind of nonchalant like yeah, homie got a benzo over there i think he's doing good homie is headed for destruction i don't care what kind of car he's in right it doesn't matter it doesn't matter. And even when it comes to having a empathy for all the social ills we have. I do. I do. But guess what? It means absolutely nothing if the game plan is not to get them from that side of the room over to this side of the room. So when we go to school and we do stuff like we have rap shows and we do everything else, believe me, I'm in the room like this right here like I'm just I'm just strategizing. <coughs> I know they're lost. I know when I throw the gospel out, they ain't going to catch it. But I'm in the room like, you know what? I'm going to talk to him about business. Because as we talk about business and we deal with some of the things there or whatever, maybe I can work in him or work into this conversation with the gospel or whatever. Oh, he seems like he's about to run. I'm going to ease up a little bit. and I'm about to slide back in on him real quick. And you know what? I've been rolling with this cat too long. He's too used to me. So I'm going to actually bring him to my church. And I'm going to let some of these other believers be on fire all around him. Because he, 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 I don't got no credibility no more. He's like... He, do you get what I'm saying? What is loss? Loss is people who don't know Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter where they're from, what kind of house they live in, what kind of house they don't have. We have to be sober in understanding that. We have to be sober in it. Well, it's... it's it's, it's, it's We have to be sober. That side of the room right there it's full of millionaires. It's full of homeless people, It's full of cops, it's full of judges, lawyers, right? People at the counter at McDonald's, it's full of them. That's what lost this. So when we're on the hunt, don't let the package deceive you. You know what I'm saying. I gained 40 pounds trying to drink some of them organic drinks with all the greens. So I got like 70, it's like 78 grams of sugar in it. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, too healthy. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't let the packaging trick you, yo. Don't let it get you. You know what I'm saying? Straight up. You are literally the wrecking ball that Jesus uses. The enemy has blinded those people in the back. The Bible says he's blinded them from the knowledge of the glory of God. It's blinded them. They're completely blind. And you up here possess that knowledge. And God has found somebody that found somebody that has found you. And he expects you to be a wrecking ball. Enemy has literally built up just cinder blocks and blocked them over. He is not trying to let it, even a peep of sunlight come in the room. And Jesus wants you to come in on your wrecking ball and knock it all down. And I ain't talking about with Molly Cyrus on it, so don't even go there. I had to say that. The more I kept saying wrecking ball, I was like, this song kept playing in my head. I was like, please don't let them think. All right, anyway. Let me wrap it up like this right here, right? So where do we do what are we do? Where do we start um, we 're going to go to Nehemiah one one through eleven I 'm actually read to this whole thing. Um, this is a different scripture to use to drive home the point, but um, I don 't think I'm taking this out of context because I think the heart um, issues inside of it and what 's going on here is very similar to. What will stand in the room in the scenario that we just talked about, right? Um, if you don't think so, you call me out later and we'll talk about it. All right so Nehemiah, uh, this is his prayer, right? Um, so it says, I'm going to jump in verse two. Oh no, so I'm starting beginning. So it says, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekaliiah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the, tw- in the 20th year as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and the gates are destroyed by fire. People in the back, everybody, walls broken down, they are in shame, they are reproached. They are lost. They are blind sheep. All right? That's where I'm going in the text. I just want you to, I want to use this to help you imagine a little something. And then uh, in verse 4 he says this, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I don't know if you caught it in Matthew 9, 35 through 38 when Jesus speaks about the harvest. The first thing he says to do is to Pray. Right, and Nehemiah is doing the same thing here. Once he looks at the brokenness or whatever of the people, he he prays and he said, "And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God." Who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the people. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though you are your outcast in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord. Let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. This scripture right here, it always is when it comes to um, the lost, it's dear to my heart because There's so many things that poke me about it. The whole idea that Nehemiah, um, and I understand that the context is different, but still, rock rock with me. He looks up and he sees that the people are are reproached, that they're broken, right? That they're broken. And he goes to pray and he goes to fast. And what he does is he confesses the sins of the people. So he's not... He's not thrown off by the fact that, yo, we're in sin. Our sin has made us an enemy to God. Like I'm saying like it's brokenness, that we've rebelled against the Father. So he's not playing that game and trying to come up with all type of little sweet nothings or whatever, right? But he also says, we have sinned against you. Even I and my Father's house have sinned. I always reference this scripture to get my heart right about the loss even though it's a different context, because what I find when it comes to people actually going to share the gospel with people is that we so often act like we're standing somewhere else. And we try to tell them the gospel like, yo, homie, you should get like me, yo. Right? When the fact of the matter is the only thing between us and the people back in the room is, like I said, the steadfast love. It's Jesus Christ. It's the love and his loyalty and it's the fact that he is holding it in place every single second of the day because if he lifts it up on your best day of thinking you meet the mark you are through you are eternally through so when I see Nehemiah the way he approaches this thing the idea that when I share the gospel with somebody I get to actually walk next to him, put my arm around him and then point him to the cross and be like, homie, let me tell you why we need Jesus. Why we need him. Right. I got him, but I need him every second. Right. I need him because if he lets up, I'm done. We both going to be on the other side of the room like somebody, please come do something. And he says in verse 10, he says, they are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. The beautiful thing is that he is confessing their sins. He still is moving in like that whole concept like that he's the Lord of the harvest and the harvest is already plentiful. Like he's already like, he's like, yo, these are your people, right? This is Our father. And we are now his children. So that means that our sisters and brothers are standing over there. It means our sisters and brothers are standing over there.
0: All right.
1: We're going to pray. I'm going to end it right there. I think, we, I think we all get the picture. I'm in end it right there real quick. Dan, can you bring me a card real quick? I want us to pray. I want us to pray really quick. If um... sorry, one moment. We're going to pray first. If y'all can, let's stand and pray really fast. I know we're pushing on time. I'm going to make it quick. Let's call out to the Lord together right now. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord. God, please, please wake my heart up, Father Lord. Wake our hearts up. Father Lord, burden us. Burden us, Father Lord, to have a heart for the loss, Father, burden us to not be nonchalant about sitting across the table from family members from one holiday to another and being okay with the reality of the eternity that faces them Lord Father I repent for being okay with that Lord have mercy on us Father Father we pray Laborers, Father Lord, to get the harvest. Wake us up in this building, Father Lord. But when you looked out and you saw the people, you were putting in work right there. And you were putting in work by, by, by speaking to the crowd, and you also were investing in disciples that would go find somebody else long after you were gone. Father, stir us to the work, stir our hearts. To want to do the work of raising disciples, Father Lord, and laborers to go after the harvest. Father, help us to be wide awake and alert when we are around people day to day, get in our coffee and be able to just by your spirit, be able to give us supernatural eyes to know when people are hurting to know when the smile on their face is fake let us have the common sense to know that if Jesus is not in the picture then ain't nothing popping it's as simple as that let us see that let us care about that Father Lord I know this this is not how we earn our way with you, you've paid the price and you've taken the wrath from us and you've taken the condemnation But we as your children are asking that you would light a flame in our heart to pursue the loss, Father. So we just praise you for that. And we thank you for that. And Father Lord, we thank you that we are not hopeless. And this lie that the enemy is trying to cast over this city and over this country about us being hopeless is a lie out of hell. And it's not the truth. You are the God of hope and we possess you in our heart. You have overwhelmed us with your love. Wake us up to understand how deep and vast and and heavy and, and monumental that love is. And forgive me for these silly words I'm using to describe what you've done. I don't have any words to fit it. But let us walk with fear and trembling in that. And let that fear and trembling overwhelm us and produce compassion and empathy and love with the goal that people would be adopted into your family, Father, Lord. So we just praise you and we thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.